Section six of Waverley, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ted Garvin. Waverley, or Tis Sixty Years Since, Volume two, by Sir Walter Scott. Chapter forty-one. The mystery begins to be cleared up. How do you like him? was Fergus's first question, as they descended the large stone staircase. A prince to live and die under, was Waverley's enthusiastic answer. I knew you would think so when you saw him, and I intended you should have met earlier, but was prevented by your sprain. And yet he has his foibles, or rather he has difficult cards to play, and his Irish officers, who are much about him, are but sorry advisers. They cannot discriminate among the numerous pretensions that are set up. Would you think it, I have been obliged for the present to suppress an earl's patent granted for services rendered ten years ago, for fear of exciting the jealousy, forsooth, of C-dash and M-dash. But you were very right, Edward, to refuse the situation of aide-de-camp. There are two vacant, indeed, but Clan Ronald and Lochiel, and almost all of us, have requested one for young Abercalader, and the Lowlanders and the Irish party are equally desirous to have the other for the master of F-dash. Now, if either of these candidates were to be superseded in your favor, you would make enemies. And then I am surprised that the prince should have offered you a majority, when he knows very well that nothing short of lieutenant-colonel will satisfy others, who cannot bring one hundred and fifty men to the field. But patience, cousin, and shuffle the cards. It is all very well for the present, but we must have you properly equipped for the evening in your new costume, for to say truth, your outward man is scarce fit for a court. Why, said Waverley, looking at his soil dress, my shooting jacket has seen service since we parted, but that probably you, my friend, know as well or better than I. You do my second sight too much honor, said Fergus. We were so busy, first with the scheme of giving battle to Cope, and afterwards with our operations in the lowlands, that I could only give general directions to such of our people as were left in Perthshire to respect and protect you, should you come in their way. But let me hear the full story of your adventures, for they have reached us in a very partial and mutilated manner. Waverley then detailed at length the circumstances with which the reader is already acquainted, to which Fergus listened with great attention. By this time they had reached the door of the, his quarters, which he had taken up in a small paved court, retiring from the street called the Cannon Gate, at the house of a buxom widow of forty, who seemed to smile very graciously upon the handsome young chief she being a person with whom good looks and good humour were sure to secure an interest, whatever might be the party's political opinions. Here Callum Begg received them with a smile of recognition. Callum, said the chief, call Seamus and Snickered, James of the Needle. This was the hereditary tailor of Vic Ian Vore. Seamus, Mr. Waverley is to wear the Cahdieth, battle-colour, or tartan. His trues must be ready in four hours. You know the measure of a well-made man, two double nails to the small of the leg. Eleven from haunch to heel, seven round the waist. I give your honour leave to hang Seamus, if there is a pair of shears in the Highlands that has such a balder sneck than her zane at the comatatras, shape of the trues. Get a plaid of MacIver tartan and sash, continued the chieftain, and a blue bonnet of the prince's pattern, at Mr. Muat's in the creams. My short green coat, with silver lace and silver buttons, will fit him exactly, and I have never worn it. Tell Ensign Macombich to pick out a handsome target from among mine. 
the prince has given mr waverley broadsword and pistols i will furnish him with a dirk and purse add but a pair of low-heeled shoes and then my dear edward turning to him you will be a complete son of ivor these necessary directions given the chief resumed the subject of waverley's adventures it is plain he said that you have been in the custody of donald ban lane you must know that when i marched away my clan to join the prince i laid my injunctions on that worthy member of society to perform a certain piece of service which done he was to join me with all the force he could muster but instead of doing so the gentleman finding the coast clear thought it better to make war on his own account and has scoured the country plundering i believe both friend and foe under pretense of levy and blackmail sometimes as if by my authority and sometimes and cursed to his consummate impudence in his own great name upon my honour if i live to see the cairn of benmore again i shall be tempted to hang that fellow i recognise his hand particularly in the mode of your rescue from that canting rascal gilfillan and i have little doubt that donald himself played the part of the pedlar on that occasion but how he should not have plundered you or put you to ransom or availed himself in some way or other of your captivity for his own advantage passes my judgment when and how did you hear of the intelligence of my confinement asked waverley the prince himself told me said fergus and inquired very minutely into your history he then mentioned your being at that moment in the power of one of our northern parties you know i could not ask him to explain particulars and requested my opinion about disposing of you i recommended that you should be brought here as a prisoner because i did not wish to prejudice you farther with the english government in case you pursued your purpose of going southward i knew nothing you must recollect of the charge brought against you of aiding and abetting high treason which i presume had some share in changing your original plan that sullen good-for-nothing brute balmawapple was sent to escort you from dune with what he calls his troop of horse as to his behaviour in addition to his natural antipathy to everything that resembles a gentleman i presume his adventure with bradwardine rankles in his recollection the rather that i dare say his mode of telling that story contributed to the evil reports which reached your quondam regiment very likely said waverley but now surely my dear fergus you may find time to tell me something of flora why replied fergus i can only tell you that she is well and residing for the present with a relation in this city i thought it better she should come here as since our success a good many ladies of rank attend our military court and i assure you that there is a sort of consequence annexed to the near relative of such a person as flora mac Ivor, and where there is such a jostling of claims and requests a man must use every fair means to enhance his importance there was something in this last sentence which grated on waverley's feelings he could not bear that flora should be considered as conducting to her brother's preferment by the admiration which she must unquestionably attract and although it was in strict correspondence with many points of fergus's character it shocked him as selfish and unworthy of his sister's high mind and his own independent pride fergus to whom such manoeuvres were familiar as to one brought up at the french court did not observe the unfavourable impression which he had unwarily made upon his friend's mind and concluded by saying that they could hardly see flora before the evening when she would be at the concert and ball with which the prince's party were to be entertained she and i had a quarrel about her not appearing to take leave of you i am unwilling to renew it by soliciting her to receive you this morning and perhaps my doing so might not only be ineffectual but prevent your meeting this evening while thus conversing waverley heard in the court before the windows of the parlour a well-known voice 
I aver to you, my worthy friend, said the speaker, that it is a total dereliction of military discipline, and were you not, as it were, a tyro, your purpose would deserve strong reprobation. For a prisoner of war is on no account to be coerced with fetters, or debinded in ergastulo, as would have been the case had you put this gentleman into the pit of the peel-house at Balmawapple. I grant, indeed, that such a prisoner may for security be coerced in carcere, that is, in a public prison. The growling voice of Balmawapple was heard as taking leave in displeasure, but the word landlooper alone was distinctly audible. He had disappeared before Waverley reached the house in order to greet the worthy Baron of Bradwardine. The uniform in which he was now attired, a blue coat, namely with gold lace, a scarlet waistcoat and breeches, and immense jack-boots, seemed to have added fresh stiffness and rigidity to his tall perpendicular figure, and the consciousness of military command and authority had increased, in the same proportion, the self-importance of his demeanour and the dogmatism of his conversation. He received Waverley with the usual kindness, and expressed immediate anxiety to hear an explanation of the circumstances attending the loss of his commission in Gardner's Dragoons. Not, he said, that he had the least apprehension of his young friend having done aught which could merit such ungenerous treatment as he had received from government, but because it was right and seemly that the Baron of Bradwardine should be, in point of trust and in point of power, fully able to refute all calumnies against the heir of Waverley Honour, whom he had so much right to regard as his own son. Fergus MacIver, who had now joined them, went hastily over the circumstances of Waverley's story, and concluded with the flattering reception he had met from the young chevalier. The baron listened in silence, and at the conclusion shook Waverley heartily by the hand and congratulated him upon entering the service of his lawful prince. For, continued he, although it has been justly held in all nations a matter of scandal and dishonor to infringe the sacramentum militare, and that, whether it was taken by each soldier singly, whilk the Romans denominated per conjuratum, or by one soldier in name of the rest, yet no one ever doubted that the allegiance so sworn was discharged by the dismissio, or discharging of a soldier, whose case would be as hard as that of colliers, salters, and other adscripti glebes, or slaves of the soil, were it to be accounted otherwise. This is something like the brocard expressed by the learned Sanchez in his work De Giro Gerandando, which you have questionless consulted upon this occasion. As for those who have calumniated you by leasing-making, I protest to heaven, I think, they have justly incurred the penalty of the Memnomia Lex, also called Lex Remnia, which is pre-elected upon by Tullius in his oration in Verum. I should have deemed, however, Mr. Waverley, that before destining yourself to any special service in the army of the prince, you might have inquired what rank this old Bradwardine held there, and whether he would not have been peculiarly happy to have had your services in the regiment of horse which he is now about to levy. Edward eluded this reproach by pleading the necessity of giving an immediate answer to the prince's proposal, and his uncertainty at the moment whether his friend the baron was with the army or engaged upon service elsewhere. This punctilio being settled, Waverley made inquiry after Miss Bradwardine, and was informed she had come to Edinburgh with Flora MacIver, under guard of a party of the chieftain's men. This step was indeed necessary, Tully Veolan having become a very unpleasant and even dangerous place of residence for an unprotected young lady, on account of its vicinity to the highlands, and also to one or two large villages which, from aversion as much as to the Catarans for zeal for presbytery, had declared themselves on the side of government and formed irregular bodies of partisans, 
who had frequent skirmishes with the mountaineers, and sometimes attacked the houses of the Jacobite gentry in the braes, or frontier betwixt the mountain and plain. I would propose to you, continued the baron, to walk as far as my quarters in the Luckenbooths, and to admire in your passage the high street, Wilk is, beyond a shadow of debitation, finer than any street whether in London or Paris. But Rose, poor thing, is sorely discomposed with the firing of the castle, though I have proved to her from Blondel and Coherd that it is impossible a bullet can reach these buildings. And besides, I have it in charge from His Royal Highness to go to the camp, or leaguer of our army, to see that the men do condamnare vasa, that is, truss up their bag and baggage for tomorrow's march. That will be easily done by most of us, said MacIver, laughing. Craving your pardon, Colonel MacIver, not quite so easily as you seem to opine. I grant most of your folk left the highlands expedited, as it were, and free from the encumbrance of baggage, but it is unspeakable the quantity of useless peccary which they have collected on their march. I saw one fellow of yours, craving your pardon once more, with a pier glass upon his back. I, said Fergus, still in good humour, he would have told you, if you had questioned him, a ganging foot is I getting. But come, my dear baron, you know as well as I that a hundred uhlands, or a single troop of, of Schmirschus's panders, would make more havoc in a country than the knight of the mirror and all the rest of our clans put together. And that is very true likewise, replied the baron. They are, as the heathen author says, ferociores in aspectu, meteores in actu, of a horrid and grim visage, but more benign in demeanour than their physiognomy or aspect might infer. But I stand here talking to you two youngsters when I should be in the king's park. But you will dine with Waverley and me on your return? I assure you, Baron, though I can live like a Highlander when needs must, I remember my Paris education, and understand perfectly Félamier Cher. And why the deal doubts it? quoth the Baron, laughing. When ye bring only the cookery and the good tune must furnish the materials, weel, I have some business in the tune too, but I'll join you at three if the vivers can tarry so long. So saying, he took leave of his friends and went to look after the charge which had been assigned him. End of chapter 41